Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Did you read with Tim Montgomery? Welcome to another edition of Times Opinions podcast, Did You Read? Joining me today, Tim Montgomery, comment editor of The Times, are three columnists, Hugo Rifkind, Alice Thompson and Libby Purvis. It's not the fault of the NHS or the government that a pioneering programme to create a shared database of patient information has been suspended. It's our fault. We are shrill and egotistical about our data. In fact, nobody gives a damn about our private details except us, and sharing it could save lives. Girls, often natural perfectionists, are now being pressurised into being impossibly perfect. We need to teach them to be more robust and to realise that looks and A-stars don't define them. Rebecca Adlington was never going to be famous for her crooked nose, but was for her swimming. The best female role models aren't skinny beauties, but hugely successful in their sphere. Hilary Mantle, Mary Beard, Angela Merkel, Claire Balding. Every political party at last admits that London's housing problem is being made worse by foreign buyers using property, even modest flats, as an investment without living there or renting it. But the political will is pathetic. The Tories threaten capital gains tax, a big deal, why weren't they paying it before? Ed Miliband bleats about stopping estate agents marketing new build abroad first. There are much sharper things they could do, but they're all frit. So those are our three topics for this week. The pressure on girls to have this idea of perfection, uh, Libby's idea on housing. But we're going to start with yours, Hugo, which is this huge controversy that has um, surrounded the sharing of NHS data recently. And I was slightly surprised that you took the position that you did in a way, oh because I always, <laughs> I always associate you with perhaps more the civil libertarian side of the debate, particularly on the, uh, the recent NSA surveillance drama and Edward Snowden. But your argument in Tuesday's edition of the newspaper is that the benefits of sharing the data that we have in the NHS for our health are so great that we need to uh, embrace this. Absolutely. I mean, my position generally is that it's important that we know what we're doing. I think if our data was being harvested without our knowledge, that would be bad. And I think, and I, and I do value the sort of the, the, the civil liberties in controlling our own data, but it's, it's a question of how much you value it. You know, I think that, I think the, 
I think the government, or the government, GCHQ having the right to read my emails in order to prevent, ter- prevent terrorism isn't terribly important because I don't think I'm likely, my e- emails are likely to have been much, much help in seeking to prevent terrorism. Whereas uh, the NHS being able to look at my medical records, uh, I think is absolutely invaluable. I mean, this is how medical advances happen. What's, what's striking at the moment is this has been delayed, this program, care, care data, care.data. It's being delayed by six months and six m- months from now it will, be, it will, it will happen in exactly the same way it's been being proposed now. It's not a period of consultation. Nothing's going to change. All they need to do is resell it to the public, which suggests to me that the problem is us. Do, do you think they will resell it? My, my concern is that the next six months will be spent with certain newspapers hyping up the fears and scares, and you'll end up with actually with more people opting out of this system than if they've gone ahead with it now. Well, but that's, I mean, that's fine, really. Uh, I mean, e- even if a huge number of people opt out most people won't opt out i had some interesting conversations about opting in and opting out yesterday in the in the sort of long sort of <laughs> gestation of this column but a lot of people say well why can't we just opt in if we want our data to be sh- data to be shared mm-hmm. and the reason for that is because the people who won't opt in or who will be opted will begin opted out and will stay opted out are the people whose data is of most value they're the most vulnerable people mm-hmm. they're the old people they're the poor people they're the you know, disadvantaged people so it's important that we are opted in to start with. And uh, before I bring Libby and Alice in, just give us an example of the kind of medical advance that might be gained by all of us because of this system of data sharing. Well, a good example, and it wouldn't quite be all of us because it wouldn't be you or me, but uh, say uh, drugs or supplements taken by pregnant women, for example. If you can monitor, I mean, you could, pregnant women are very difficult people to do any sort of medical trials on because you obviously can't ask them to take things and see what happens because it's incredibly yeah. unethical. However, if you can monitor, if you can find out that, you know, you can look at, across the whole country and see of 70% of pregnant, pregnant women who take zinc, for example, this incredibly beneficial or harmful thing happens, that's of massive, massive use to everybody. So, Libby, bringing you in in this, a lot of our medical uh, uh, behavior, our medical uh, records will tell things about ourselves, whether we perhaps have been treated for mental uh, poor health or whether we've maybe had been treated for sexually transmitted disease. People are understandably sensitive about this sort of data being widely shared. Uh, Are you confident that protections can be put in place so that people don't learn about our quite difficult sensitive medical histories? Uh, no, I'm not really. I mean, I, I don't mind. Anyone's welcome to mine. Um, just anyone's welcome to Hugo's because he's a sort of young, fit man with, with no particular diseases or disgraces in his background. We don't I, know. That I've been able to find out. Um, but A, nobody trusts government with data. Their record is ridiculous. B, hospital records, as was revealed yesterday, are widely sold to insurance companies, which affects individuals' insurance premiums. And thirdly, yeah, there are things which people fear very much, getting out multiple abortions, drug use, mm-hmm. sexually transmitted diseases, you know, all sorts of sort of hidden things, you know, um, in people's lives, which they want to keep hidden. I mean, are you telling who, who, me... Who are you that, worried about who's going to get hold of this data and publish <laughs> it or bribe it? What exactly is are your... Are you telling me that nobody would have delved around for Nigella's medical records at the time mm-hmm. the court case was going on? Well, it, it, there, there is... I, so I, it's I, celebrities I think, I, or I people in the 
public eye. Yes, but about. also people, and I'm, I'm worried about anybody. I think we absolutely should have the right to opt out. I agree with Hugo. I think one should opt in, and I would opt in. But I think that the that's not your position, is it, Hugo, about opting in? I think one should be allowed to one should be allowed to, to opt, opt out. out. One opt out, should be opted yeah. in. Yeah, I think people should should be allowed to opt out. But I I completely understand uh, the mistrust of big government with big data, and I absolutely respect the individual sense of privacy. Mm. So, but as long as people can opt out, you don't oppose the system because of the medical benefits it can bring. No, I think I think data data is good stuff. I mean, I I, I as I say, I do wish government had a better record with our personal data. It yeah. has a lousy record of personal data, I and I, I think this has not changed. They're still hopeless with big computer systems. I would wish I had more faith in them. I think it's a fair question to ask. I mean, I, a lot of that I actually agree with. I think it's a fair question to ask though, which is more important. Is it more important that we are totally confident that our asthma will remain confidential, or that? you know, a new drug is developed that means children don't suffer from it. You keep saying things like asthma and, you know, oh, maybe a wart on my bum. Mm. Hugo, there's much, much worse things. And believe me, if you're a woman, <laughs> you would be able to imagine them pretty damn quick. Alice Thompson, are you, are you closer to Libby or Hugo on well, this funny, question? I think I'm the opposite from Hugo in that I really don't mind with the terrorism because mm. I feel it, it's such a massive issue. I don't really care any of my data being used for that. I don't care what they're going through. I don't care what they do. I, don't, I, I assume, and I've always told all my children, that anything they put in an email or a text or anything that's written down is basically fair game and it's not going to be private. Whereas with the medical records, I do think, particularly on mental health, it's a really big issue. And it's not actually the famous that's the most boring issue. It's if any employers ever get hold of any of this. Because yeah. it's, insurance is bad enough, but if you've got a mental health issue and your employer finds out, it is really difficult. There is still such a massive stigma about it. So I would say that you would be allowed to be... I mean, opting out would be the way to do it because mm. opting in, pers- no one's going to bother. I mean, you would personally opt out? I wouldn't, personally, um, because I think having had children actually is, is one of the things they really do need to know a lot more yeah. about is people's experience of having children, how it's worked, what's happened, what you've taken. I think Hugo's very right about that, and I've had various medical issues that are... Actually, I'm very happy to discuss, but that's because they're physical ones, not mental ones. If I'd had any mental issues or if I'd had an abortion, I would really not want that out there. So, 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 so Hugo, could just to interrupt yeah. you very uh, quickly, uh, mm. um, isn't the case... is there can be no guarantee that this data is absolutely safe. No, what what we're right. talking about here is every individual has to decide whether to take a risk with their personal data because there's a possibility that at mm-hmm. some point they'll be vulnerable. But in taking that risk, they are contributing to something of potentially enormous social sure. benefit. Isn't, isn't that the, the honest position that absolutely. ministers haven't really set before us? Well, absolutely. But you've got to understand precisely what, what this risk is. And it's not quite the risk in the way it's, it's, it's understood, even, even within this room, to be fair. I mean, your, your employer couldn't look at your medical records. Your employer would be even in the system, even what would need to happen would be for these medical records to somehow leak, to be unanonymized, and then for your employer to risk fines and jail by going to seek your medical records. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's not simply a matter of just sort of like, you know, dialing it up. And secondly, I mean, you, you said men, mental health. Mental health is exactly the sort of thing that we need to share. At the moment, mental health exists in, in 100 little ghettos. There's every, there's every patient with their doctor, and, it, and it's, a, it's a sealed little thing. And it's precisely because of that that it's so stigmatized. And so, I mean, mental health is a very good example of data that really does need to be shared in this sort of way. I think we could go on discussing this topic, um, but 
time is against us, we must move on to our second topic. But what I should say is Hugo's article on, N on NHS data sharing and all the articles we've been discussing, Times subscribers can read at thetimes.co.uk slash comment central. But Alice, for Wednesday's Times, you're writing about the pressures on younger women in particular to form, to conform to an idea of perfection and this is something that's appeared in the times quite a bit over the last few days on saturday we revealed some of the eating disorders that young girls are facing particularly in private schools and then on the front of t2 on tuesday we had the news that rebecca adlington one of our most accomplished athletes has felt the need it seems to have had cosmetic surgery on her on her nose and this worries you a great deal well, I think it's very difficult when you're talking about food banks and you're talking about the obesity crisis to suddenly bring up anorexia because it seems such a strange illness in a way. And it is, again, it's a mental illness. And it seems bizarre, the idea that these children, and if you look at the websites, it is extraordinary what they're doing. And many of them are 10, 11, 12, can literally want to starve themselves to death. And, you know, the statistics on how many children actually do end up dying. One in 20 die who've had anorexia. That's huge. You know, that's much worse than obesity. And yet we've sort of forgotten it as an illness for quite a mm. long time. And I think part of it, they know it's increased and it's just working out why it's increased. I think part of it is this idea of perfectionism with women that's got worse and worse. So the idea of constantly having to get A stars, of having to look good as well, that we didn't have when we were children in the same way. We all bummed along much more. We didn't, you know, we weren't neurotic about getting every single exam result you know, as an A star, we were more relaxed, I think. And I think that's part of the problem. The other part of the problem is these sites, which are just extraordinary when you go on them. And there are 10, 15,000 of these sites telling you how to lose weight, which become incredibly competitive. And yeah. girls are naturally very, very And social media generally, everybody now via Facebook or other sites, their images are being published all of the time well, in a allowed? way that used to have a family photo album. There used to be people photographed on the front of magazines. But now all of us, particularly the young, are photographed all of the time. Is that part of the Well, I think that is very much problem? part of it because you look at Facebook and they're all judging whether or not you like pictures and you don't like pictures. And it's, it is very much about looks. I don't think you can just blame magazines for having very skinny models. No. But I think it's extraordinary how we can't be racist. We can't, you know, there's so many things we're not allowed to be. You know, we're, we're not allowed to say, you know, things about religion, all sorts of things. But you are allowed to be incredibly rude to women like Rebecca Adlington about her looks. And you think, actually, this should be totally unacceptable. L Libby, is this the last big battle for feminism, the idea that you can be any shape you want to be? Um, yes, I think that there's lots of things. I mean, I think ask any newspaper picture desk about why the girls screaming in delight over their A-level results are always wearing strappy tops and blonde <laughs> and in the middle of the front page. But I think this links up very interestingly to the uh, row recently about girls and sport and girls being afraid of getting... So Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. 
And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Sweaty and physical in sport and some minister, or the, who, who was it, who said that... Um, Helen Grant, that, yes. Yeah, yeah. that it would be good if they, if they wore spangled socks and did Zumba. Um, but, I mean, I, I do tall ships races sometimes, and I love to watch girls suddenly realising that their physicality is not just decoration or a sort of sexual asset, that their weight is needed on a rope. Two more people here, quick, quick, haul, haul, quick. You know, um, and that they can, they can be sweaty and win blown and salt in their hair and laughing and everybody still really likes them because because they're helping because they're making this great well, ship the boys move probably along. like them even more don't they I mean that's um, the thing I don't know don't... whether the boys don't have time they're t- terrified boys are far more terrified than girls on these and I love to watch this physicality but the awful thing is you see it in little girls of sort of 10, 11 and 12 wanting to play netball and leaping around and then you see it fading and fading and fading and they think it's more important to have highlights and horses well, sweat I'd and like men perspire to... but ladies merely glow it's awful <laughs> I would like to ask Hugo actually because I think that it's women on women because I just don't think men like very skinny women. I think what they prefer is, you know, even when they're in their teens, I think that men don't go for incredibly thin looks. Do, do they? they like them sort of sweaty and, and sporty, Hugo? I think, mm? I think... <laughs> getting into, too much, de- <laughs> getting into too much detail about Hugo's preferences I think, here. I, I think, think men don't necessarily think in these terms. I think the notion of men having a type is, in fact, in my limited experience, quite erroneous. Men like people and occasionally bits of people, but, 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 but a type of bits of people, I, I'm not sure that's quite right. Um, no. I need a bleeper button, I think, soon. <laughs> but, I, I mean, look, I, I, I just say I'm, I'm conflicted on this. I am, anorexia is a devastating disease. I mean, I've, I've, um, you know, I've, I've lost friends to anorexia, and I, it's one of the things that gives me a, a great fear, having, having daughters, when you, when you look at how, how much this devastates a life. However, I struggle with this idea that the, the young, younger women of today are more unfortunate than their predecessors. I know women in their 20s and even teenagers, and they seem to be, frankly, a lot less nuts than my generation were, (laughs) and a lot less nuts than I suspect my mother's generation of having been. They seem to be more confident of their place in the world, not less. And so, um, and maybe that's, my own, my, my own illusion, but, but, uh, physi- but that's what the, I always think. The physicality is is leaned on very, very heavily today. I mean, we, we could have a huge debate about the whole porn industry mm. and, and, and the way women looked at as objects. I think that that is a, that is a growing problem. I agree, you know, the Olympics, yeah. things like that, made girls much more kind of upfront and sporty and, and physic- physically yeah. healthy. Is it a growing problem or is it a more discussed problem? I think it's a growing problem because I yeah. thought the statistics, actually maybe it was just a sort of fun headline saying... Mm. You know, particularly independent schools are all suffering from this. But when you go behind the statistics, since 2000, it has grown by 20%. But, but you, you sure that's a problem that has grown, or is it just that there's the more examination of the I don't problem? I so, because actually the schools are still pretty bad at picking up on it. But you, but you, didn't, you, didn't, get, you didn't get girls 10, 20 years ago, like, almost universally sneering and deriding page three, for example. You know, yes, but on the other hand, you didn't get girls 10, 20 years ago being quite obsessed. I know when I was at school, we were all quite sort of spotty, mm. sweaty. We, we didn't really, I mean, we cared about our looks, but if I now have you know, children who are teenagers and mm. further down, I've got a daughter, and then I look at some of her friends, first of all, they all are much, much prettier than our generation. I mean, they really genuinely seem to be a lot prettier. <laughs> and secondly, they, 
they want to be prettier and they really care about what they look like, these children. I mean, they're absolutely stunning already. And yet they want to be Is that bad for most girls or is that is I a problem for a small number? Or? I, remember, I interviewed Mary Beard a couple of weeks ago and, you know, she was such a fantastic role model. And she, even she was spending a lot of the time talking about the fact that people didn't like the way she looked. She was having to constantly justify the fact that she wasn't a sort of perfect role model. And you thought, actually, you're wonderful. You're head of classics at Cambridge. You're mm. incredibly clever. And yet she was still too embarrassed. But to are these, really you know, the, the people that you mentioned, Claire, Bolding, Angela Merkel, these are never going to be the role models for young girls, though, are they? Well, they should be the role models. <laughs> I said that to can my I, daughter I, today, I, actually. I, saw, I showed her that picture of the Holocaust victim. And I said, you know, this woman is 109 when she died. She's extraordinary. She lived an amazing life. She is a role model. And she did say, oh, God, here we go again. Mm. <laughs> she knows I'm can, trying can to Can I just say about Libby, the, yes. the business of the schools being in, in denial, the independent yeah. schools being in denial? I mean, I can actually verify this from one small personal thing, that uh, when I was growing up, you know, you'd look at a sixth form and there'd be sort of thin ones and beautiful ones and, and big thumping ones and cheery, jokey ones and slightly spotty ones and ones who didn't care much and ran around. I went to speak to a very eminent girls' school sixth form, a small group, and what absolutely horrified me was they were all skinny. Some of them clearly ought to be skinny. They looked right being skinny. It was fine. Others had elbows sticking out like concentration camp victims and were very silent. Mm. And it was clear that they had a bit of a problem. And I said to a teacher after, I said, do you have any problem with anorexia in the school? I said, oh, never, never been a case of it. And I thought, ah, you know. That's depressing. Hugo, you wanted to come in. I was just going to say, I mean, it is a shame that the girls don't aspire to be Angela Merkel. But, I mean, it's not like it's not like boys aspire to be Ken Clark. I mean, it's, you know, it's there are certain things that kids want to be. But they and could aspire to be Rebecca Adlington. They could aspire to be all the girls, that's, you know, in the Winter Olympics. There are a lot of very good role models. And actually, you they don't want, want to be Caitlin. That's the trouble. <laughs> yeah, well, she, she's fantastic. I mean, she's perfect because she wears what she wants to wear. She doesn't care, really. Well, one thing that people do want to aspire to, which brings us on to our third topic, is they want to own a home or have a place of their own. And Libby Purvis, you've suggested this uh, final topic for us. And your accusation towards the main political party leaders is that they're frit, to use a word that I think Margaret Thatcher first coined 20 years ago, that they aren't (laughs) being anywhere near bold enough to tackle the housing crisis that this country faces. No, they're absolutely not. And it's particularly a big city and a London housing crisis. There was a ghastly estate agency chief in The Standard this week saying that foreign owners of expensive London houses that they don't use prefer not to let them because it makes them less pristine. They lay it down as an investment, like a fine wine. I mean, we've all heard these figures. I've been through them enough. You know, 85% of prime property is overseas money. 73% of new homes in central London. A lot of them sold off planned Singapore, Hong Kong, China, Malaysia. And politicians. Although are Boris's con- office says, Boris Johnson's office says that they are rented to all of us. They're they not. are not. That is a lie. I'm sorry, they really are not. I could point you at tower blocks, which aren't. Um, and meanwhile, the coalition, with all the smugness of a conjurer producing a dead rabbit from a bad hat, <laughs> says we're going to make them pay capital gains tax. A big deal. Who knew they didn't already? Mm-hmm. And Ed Miliband says, oh, we'll make estate agents offer abroad first. And I was sort of moaning about home this the first. other night, sitting next to, uh, at home first. Um, I was sitting next to um, a, a distinguished Danish economist, and he said, well, I don't really understand. In Copenhagen, uh, to be a foreigner, to buy property, you must be a permanent resident for five consecutive years um, and have a special permission from the Ministry of Justice. I thought, that's an EU country. They can put their foot down. Nobody in our political spectrum wants to put their foot down. Frit. And, and, and you want 
us to have a, a sort of a Danish model? Wouldn't that discourage the kind of foreign investors that make well, London the best capital, in best city in the world? Way, in what way does it make London the best capital in the world that young people cannot even afford to rent, that employers are starting to say it's getting harder and harder to find good graduates for companies within London because they're going to have to commute for hours and hours. In what way is that making London a great city? It's hollowing it out from the inside. Uh, when they, you know, If they buy property, fine, they must rent it. And there should probably be controlled rents. But it, you cannot just use London as a piggy bank for foreign money. I think it's it's absolutely wrong. And I'm just horrified that even that Labour isn't leaping on this. I can hear the passion in your voice. It's fantastic. Hugo, do you share um, Libby's passion on this subject? I do. Uh, I mean, passion I'm, and anger. I'm I'm afraid I, I was in I was in Dubai last week. And Dubai is much further down this road. And you go around the, the, the ludicrous palm. Dubai is an awful place. But you go, down, you go around along the palm, this fake peninsula they've built, which is the size of Birmingham. And it's full of empty holiday apartments that have been bought as investments by Syrians, by Saudis, by people who decide Dubai is a safer place to put their money. And what they've effectively done is on the desert, they've built this city and they've turned it into a desert again because nobody's there. And it's just soulless and it's nothing. And that's some, and that's and there are parts of London where that's what we're getting. The problem is the problem is what you do about this because because Londoners all in a strange sort of way have a stake in this because our houses are worth so very much. And our houses are worth so very, so very much because these houses are worth so but very much. But that's just tough, Hugo. You'll just I've, have to live with that. There are people elsewhere in the country who need to move to London for work and whose houses I, are exactly I'm the not, same and worth a quarter no, 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 of what yours is don't, worth. Don't, don't, huh. don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying this is a situation we ought to preserve. I'm saying it's, it's easy to understand why there is political cowardice on this issue because no one's going to vote for someone who says, I'm, my aim is to slash the value of your house. Also, that's what George Osborne wants. I mean, one way out of the recession is to increase housing prices again. Yeah. But without trying to turn this into a holiday show, when I was in Switzerland last week, <laughs> <laughs> it has just been half and they have done exactly the opposite of Denmark. And they've, you know, they've uh, well, like not the same as Denmark, the opposite of Dubai. When you, no foreigner has been allowed to buy for years and years, they can't bear any foreigners being there. They don't allow them to have any property. If you go to Geneva, you are only allowed two and a half thousand square foot. I don't think the Swiss don't seem to be very keen on foreigners. Yeah, they don't like basically <laughs> the foreigners. And then that has it that imposes its own problem. So I think in London, you want people to come in and work in London. You want people from all around the world. But you cannot just have it as a nestic, exactly as you say. It's yeah. not some piece of jewellery. I think if you should only really be allowed to own property in London if you are actually working or have a stake in London or are there for part of the year because it can't just be that. And we've got lots of friends who in their 20s who are all moving out of London because they just yeah. can't conceivably afford to live anywhere near. Even at the end of a tube line, it is now too expensive for people yeah. who've got very, very... That's um, surely why, Alice, the housing minister, Nick Bowles, is right to want to um, be provocative here, because I know this is a topic, dear, to topic. Is, is, is to build much more well, on greenfield in, sites. In no, because they don't sites. want to go and live in national parks and on greenfield sites. What they want to live is partly, I mean, in London, the amount of brownfield sites that we've got is huge. And having talked to the property developers there... But most people do not want to live on brownfield sites. The, well, no. the, the English British desire is for a little garden. And no, it's no, actually, it's not. That's the problem. There are a lot of elderly people who are in big houses who could move out. And what you need to do is you need to have a property market that is moving, that has all sorts of different you need, Of course you need some brownfield development, but most people do want No, and they want to live in towns. No, I think a lot of them don't. They don't want to live in the middle of Exmoor. I can tell you, because actually in the living in the middle of Exmoor, there is nothing there. There is no infrastructure there for them. What they want to live is on the edge of villages or they want to live within cities. 
and then they, you know they may want to move out when the children are older but they don't want to live right in the middle of nowhere because actually it's impossible when you have small children most, to get anywhere the most Libby. important thing here is the capital and the young and the new rising generation who the want to, and they can be foreign they can be foreigners as well you know who want to live here and work here and bring some life to the city and i mean i was suggesting the other week that the fourth plinth and trafalgar square should be dedicated to the unknown commuter you know the the, <laughs> the heroes who keep the entire economy going by traveling for sort of 4 hours a day in miserable yeah. conditions um, we, it's absolutely vital. We can all, we all sort of agree on this about the capital, and yet politicians, including Ed Miliband, just stare mm. frozenly at it and make tiny, tiny little suggestions. And they could put their foot down. I was just astonished to find that an EU country, Denmark, can just say no. And I think no. that's fantastic. Well, we'll end on that note. And Libby, are you going to be leaving the Times to become housing czar at any point soon? Yeah, sadly, I can't go into politics because I can't organise my way out of a paper bag. <laughs> What we are here for, let's admit it, is catcalling from the sidelines. <laughs> and we will continue to do that for a very long time. I'm sorry the uh, debate has to end here for this week's podcast. But any time subscribers, if you've got reactions to anything you've heard, please leave comments under our blog for this podcast, which can be found at www.thetimes.co.uk comment central thank you very much to my producer dave mcguire to alice libby and hugo until next week goodbye i'm gabriel marconi the host of the game podcast from the times where we talk football every single monday we'll be reviewing the action from the weekend and debating on all the issues of the week head to thetimes.co.uk for more details and be sure to subscribe on itunes